Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This was a really good episode. We kind of let the audience on the live show drive the conversation with their questions. We got into all kinds of things, whether it be thermals in the hills and thermals in the water, buck bedding, um, all, just all kinds of good stuff. You guys won't want to miss a minute of this one. Um, no ad reads today. Just make sure you go over and give us a subscribe on YouTube if you like what we're doing. Hit that like button on some of the videos. That really helps us out. And leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this show on. Also, in the description of the, the podcast, I'm now putting my merchandise store. You can go over to that link and buy you some before the Echo Gear if you would like some. Uh, thanks for all the support. I hope you have a great week, and let's get right into the episode. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody's doing good tonight. Looks like we got quite a few people on already, so it should be a good, good time. We're just going to let you guys kind of lead the conversation tonight. Um, but before we do that, just start leaving your, leave your comments or your whatever you want us to talk about questions in the comments and I'll start going through them here in a minute. But, um, how's Dan been doing since your, uh, uh marathon of, I uh, say marathon of, uh, answering questions and, uh, showing people all your public land spots this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> Met some cool people. I always yeah. do. I always enjoy, uh, the people and where they come from and the conversations. Mm-hmm. It's a long weekend though. I'm tired. Yeah, I know it. Uh, what was the farthest person this weekend? You know, mm. that was a guy from Pennsylvania. I know. Yeah, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. New Hampshire, New Hampshire yeah. We had a few guys from New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, we had somebody think, from Tennessee. We had. We didn't have the, any of the really distant ones. Um, like sometimes we have people that fly in from Canada and stuff. We didn't get no Canadians this year. Yeah, yeah. There were some people that flew in though. Mm-hmm. I know you can tell there were some rent, rental cars in the parking lots. <laughs> um, it was fun though. I, I always enjoy going, uh, my buddy, Chris, that was there. He texted me Monday morning and we got home. We got home about nine o'clock, nine thirty, on Sunday night from him. And he texted mm-hmm. me, uh, the next morning cause dude, I stayed up until 5 AM last night, uh, watching all of Dan's old videos. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, you got a bad, don't you? <laughs> he's never, never watching the older stuff. You know, he's just been watching since we've been putting over the last year or so. Um, so he really had fun. Yeah, highlight uh, was meeting Zeke. Yeah, yeah, we got to meet the Zeke Outdoors. Gave me a hat. It's in my truck still, Zeke. I'm sorry, man. I should have wore it tonight for you. Mm. I'll wear, I'll wear it next next episode. I, I wore it today. I don't know where it is. I got it around here somewhere on the floorboards yeah. of my truck or laying somewhere. Where one of these yeah. days. Yeah. Um, I think those guys had a good time. Uh, poor, poor Zeke got a little sick at the end of the, the night, but he, he was a trooper uh, for for the rest of the day. That's for sure. I thought that, um, I thought that was like a stage act. His head started spinning. He turned green. His eyes rolled back and he vomited and i thought it was like uh an exorcist you know yeah i probably shouldn't have clapped right <laughs> well i think Sorry, he was worried about i'm joking yeah he, yeah you're joking you uh 
he was, I think he was a little bit worried about uh, missing something. And he, and I, I wanted to tell him like, you didn't really miss anything little butt buddy. Like it was over, you know, you, you got the whole, the whole deal. I, I, we, most everybody left right after Zeke did. So, um, yeah, I saw, um, some film afterwards that, that, uh, from a different view, somebody was, I saw it online someplace. Somebody was filming from behind me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Zeke was running right at my feet mm-hmm. and he fell down and got up and he was staying right with me. And uh, I didn't even know it. I didn't, I, you know, I noticed he was next to me when I was talking. And stuff, but I didn't know yeah. he was running at me like that. It was cool. Yeah. He kept up with you. He kept up with you right there until the end. I think he probably started feeling his belly hurting, you know, um, Sunday that swamp got a little bit shaky there, but it was okay. Yeah, it was, when it got out on the ice. Yeah. It got a little, uh, I don't know, broken up, kind of. Yeah. Um, Nobody threw their armpits, so that's good. No. Uh-uh. I think uh, Zeke's dad fell a couple times through it, though. <laughs> oh, man. I think he, he's the one that went in uh, a little deeper. I found I found some uh, found set of sheds today, Dan. Did you? Yeah. Nice one? Or no? Real weak. Oh, man. That's a cool one. Yep. Laying I'd in a any day. It's a, just got a lot of character. Yep. Laying in a hill country buck hill country buck bed. Oh. This this thing's cool. Yeah. But he's probably got a wound. Probably so. Yeah. Uh, not real heavy, but you know, he's probably a three year old. Could be a real big one next year though, depending on how those this thing turns out, you know. Um we had uh we had one that was kinda like that once, um years ago that I was hunting that uh had one real screwed up non typical side. And one mm-hmm. clean, typical five side. And it was a really yeah. nice, cool looking buck. I mean, it wouldn't score crap because the one side was just all messed up, but it had antler everywhere. Just wouldn't work good in the scoring system. But yeah. uh, um, one day I saw the thing bedded in an overgrown field. I could see it from a road. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, where it was sitting, I was thinking, I could get at that thing. Maybe. So I had my buddy, Big John. I think you even met Big John at that show last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. He used to be my neighbor back then. I had him drive down the road there. I showed him where the buck was. And I had him go down there, park his car on the side of the road, get out and act like he was uh, fixing it. Yeah. Crawl through the brush and through the grass field up behind this thing. Yeah. And got up and pulled the bull back. And shot right over its back. Oh no! Forty yards. I shouldn't have missed. I, you know, and the thing just stood there and looked at me, and I couldn't knock another arrow and ran off. And then I, I never saw it again. But uh, that spring, um, after the season was over, and you reminded me of this with those antlers, I was walking around looking for antlers, and I thought I'm going to go look at that spot where he he was laying, and they were laying right there, one on each side of that bed, the exact really? same bed. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, it was just out in an open grass field, like where nothing should ever lay. It was, it was crazy. Hmm. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, these were on. Sorry to go on a tantrum. No, that's fine. These were on a uh, just a hill country point where there's a uh, clear cut on the point. They're laying on the edge of the clear cut in a bed. They're right next to each other. Yeah, they're laying right next to each other. You know, just like if they fell off this way, just boop. So I got a couple like that too. just the other day. I mean, they're not as, they're not as nice as that pair, but, uh, yeah. 
nice uh, heavier two-year-old four-point. Yeah. Or five by four. But uh, those are laying right next to each other, right next to parking lot, too. I won't ruin that too much, though, because it's on uh, the next video. Yeah. Um, yeah, these weren't next to parking lot. I did a little bit of a walk in there to get to get to it, but which is good. <laughs> um, Elizabeth here just reminded me of something. She says, uh, Dan, you said you are speaking at the Dells. Where can we find a daily schedule for presentations and speakers? So actually, I put a link to um, the website of uh, the Open Season Sportsman's Expo in the description. You can go on there, and it, it has a link to all the, the speakers. Um, yeah, I think it Dan, has the times, too, don't it? Do what? I think it has the times, too, don't it? It does, yeah. It has everything. It has a complete schedule. Um, let me see here, Dan. Well, my thing's not letting me share. One second. Dan, you got a promo code is what I'm trying to pull up for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here. There it went. Okay. So right there is when we'll be there in Ohio. There's expo over in Columbus, Ohio on the 17th and 19th of March. And then uh, with the one you're asking about, Elizabeth, is the 24th to 26th. And I think there's a, if you use the, the code infault 2 you can save $2 on tickets. That's the number two, right? Infault yep, like, number two. Yep, infault number two. And that's all down in the description uh, for anybody that wants to. Yeah, so if you are going, use that code, save the two bucks. I mean, you can um, save a gallon. No, you can't save on gas. Maybe gallon no. milk. No, <laughs> maybe some eggs. No, you can't get those in eggs. But Payday. two bucks. But uh, the the big thing is too that when you buy the ticket through that, they see that uh, people are coming because of me, and they'll probably invite me and Josh more often if they see that. So yeah. it's good to use that uh, even if you don't need the two bucks. Yeah, but we. Uh... If you go to that website there, you can buy tickets, and then also they got the schedule of everybody that's speaking. Um, so yeah, I guess what's what's our topic or that you're going to speak on? I'm helping with Dan. It's um, consistently killing big bucks on public land year after year, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a little condensed in that, but um, yeah, my my dad used to always tell me that uh, something about naked people and when you speak or something if you're nervous. So I'm just going to walk out naked. Yeah. I think it's something like that. That has or to be close enough. Yeah. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. Right. Just, uh, you know, that's, I don't know how that funny. works. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, you were telling me a story that I didn't didn't know. I hope you're okay with talking about this on the uh, show. I don't know why you wouldn't be. But you were one of the first people that like got you got reached out to do Naked and Afraid, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. We're in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they... Uh, um, they, that was the first, uh, reality show I was asked to be on. And, uh, I thought that was just crazy. I mean, not having seen the show cause it hadn't aired yet. I thought that that concept was just insane. I was like, <laughs> you're going to put me on an Island with, uh, some woman I never met before in my life. And we're both going to be naked and have to survive together. And, uh, um, I'm married and it's like, it just yeah. seemed to me just crazy, bizarre, and a little bit like, uh, I don't know, so far out there, it was like, uh, just 
wasn't something I wanted to be behind. Yeah. So I, I said no. And I remember uh, I mentioned it to Carol and I just mentioned it being funny because I had no intention on doing something like that. Yeah. Regardless of what it could lead to. And uh, she went berserk. She's like, you're not doing that. And I'm like, I have no intentions on doing it. She's like, you're not doing that. But uh, they did come back and make me all kinds of offers. I mean, they had a bunch of different ones. And one I really, really wanted to do. They wanted to do kind of like a uh, like a, a, a show where it would pit me against Carol, kind of. <laughs> where she would save the raccoons and stuff. And I'd yeah. kill animals and they'd show yeah. our family life. And they wanted to do a pilot show and they offered us a hundred grand to do a show of saving the raccoons and killing the deer kind of thing. They just thought that that was hilarious for some reason. Um, Probably because, you know, your average non-hunter Hollywood type, you know, thinks hunters are killers. You know, they don't, they can't even comprehend that you like animals, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to do that show. I want to do it real bad. They they, they wanted to do it kind of like uh, the duck dynasty kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, um, Carol would not do it. She didn't want to be anything to do with it. She says, if I want to be on one of them shows, I got to do it myself. And they did not want, uh, just me. So at that point, they quit asking me because, uh, I turned everything down. Yeah. (laughs) That'd have been crazy. Yeah. Uh, it may have, may have worked though. I don't know. It probably would have. It sounds like a good premise. Yeah. It is crazy, like uh, Hollywood stuff. Like, obviously, I don't, I know nothing about it, but I know like actors like Chris Pratt. Um, I know he's a big hunter, and he like publicly displays that he is. Um, he even has like goats and stuff that he farms at his house, and like he'll put on his social media like this one is for killing and eating, and that's how life works. You know, he gets all kinds of hate for that, and then he's a Christian too, so he gets hate for that too. But he just kind of seems to laugh at it and keep going, you know? Um, yeah. It used to be that the hunters and the Christians were the great people, whatever yeah. happened in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird, huh? Now we're the evil demons. Well, we went, we went this, uh, this evening and I will, this will be our last non hunting story here in a second, but, um, we signed a huck up for uh preschool, you know, three-year-old preschool at our, mm-hmm. we have a Lutheran uh, school that, is connected to our church here and me and a friend were there and talking about just, he, um, my friend isn't Lutheran. He, uh, he just sent his kids there and he was talking about trying to decide if he's going to send his kids to the Lutheran school or go up to the private school in town, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. like, man, I don't know yeah. anymore. I took my kids, uh, not their whole lives, but, uh, their younger years, their forming years until they're in like eighth grade. I had them in, uh, um catholic school mm-hmm. um, i'm more christian than catholic but it was what was available and i did not right. want to be uh demented by the public schools and even back then even back then you could see there they were uh doing things in the public schools yeah that were making our kids think in a certain way that i didn't like and a lot of people just dropped their kids off at the public school or put them on a bus and they really don't know what's going on and they should have an idea what's going on in those schools because it ain't right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely something you got to think about. You know, when, um, uh, when I did finally go to, uh, public schools is when we moved out into the country out here. Yeah. You know, and, uh, in this area, and I thought this area was really nice and I thought it had good people, country people, mm-hmm. uh, 
most of these people go to church and stuff and we put them into public schools and right away we had a problem with um um james ended up getting uh in trouble at school and had to stay late so i want to know what was going on so i talked to the principal about it and and talked to james about it and found out that uh um his teacher who's a history teacher was taking a day out of class once a year to teach your students why you should be a vegan and, and why you shouldn't eat meat um, and why it is uh, um, um, wrong to eat anything that has a face. And the reason I found out about it was because uh, Jamie yelled out, uh, sausage doesn't have a face. Oh, that's yeah. I got in trouble. Yeah, which I thought oh. was, was probably the smartest thing in that whole class. So Yeah. But, uh, you know, I couldn't believe that that stuff even goes on out here. And uh, I fought that stuff and I had to, uh, the school backing her up there, the, the principal was telling me that the, you know, the, the uh, teachers union and stuff and oh my God, you know, I mean, she's got a right to, to teach what she wants. I said, no, she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> this is public school. This is my kids. She's supposed yeah. to teach history, you know, and uh, I just don't like it. Um, and uh, I think people that care about their kids should get them out of public school, get them to private schools. I think it should all be private. If we, if we, if we had more ownership of those schools, yeah, they would do it the way we want it because they'd be afraid of losing your, the sale, you know? Yeah. I know an awful lot of teachers that have quit teaching recently. I mean, seems like the last couple of years, they're just dropping like flies. People quit quitting teaching, you know, yeah, for a lot of reasons. Good, one of my good, good hunting buddies, uh, wife is a, a teacher and she is always getting in trouble because she's conservative. Yeah. They try to yep. drive her out of the schools and stuff just because she's just because of her political and religious thoughts. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't push that on anybody. It's just right. uh, doesn't go with the norm. Yeah. Them anyways. All right. I got a, uh, a comment here that I was going to start the kind of conversation off with. It came from Facebook. It was from Zeke Outdoors, actually. He, really? he Well, uh, since they had to leave, they're going to ask you this question and they, they had to leave early, you know, because... Uh, because of Zeke getting getting a little bit oh, sick, yeah. um, he uh, so th- they asked. He said, uh, "Let's pretend all the spots Dan showed us on the workshop, which we were in a marsh, so people can kind of imagine that um, was the same, except the cattails was fields. Would he approach it the same?" He said, "That's just how his area is kind of set up." So if Small. it was uh, the the woods were all the same, and the cattails were grass. Mm-hmm. I'd still be looking at that same edge. Uh, I'd be a little different, obviously, because you don't have the thick cattails for getaway, right? But I think that the um, the terrain features that would hold the box would still be on that edge, still be on the points, um, still be in, you know, like bowls and, and all those features that are on the edge of that woods versus the grass. The transition edges is where most of your big buck activity is going to be for during daylight around bedding. So do you agree with that, Josh? Yeah. Um, I would say for, for sure. I guess you just got to think about some of those spots, you know, um, obviously the, some of the little trees and stuff out in the middle of the, um, the swamps, you know, if they're too open or something right there, they're not going to lay mm-hmm. in there. I was kind of right. thinking I, it's very similar. Like when, if that was all corn, 
you know, like that's pretty common in farm that's country. Even more, that'd be more uh, likely, yeah. Likely or the, the same. The biggest thing with the cattails versus grass is is there's going to be like a lot less bedding out in the grass than in the cattails. Yeah. So it'd be probably more condensed to that transition edge. Right, right. Um, and there's, I got spots where if it's corn and stuff, it's good. You know, when the corn's in, as soon as the corn's out, it, they're gone. Like they just don't, you know. Yeah, I get spots. They're, yeah, they're too, they're too exposed then uh, to for big ones to live in there. You know. Um. Anyway, all right, we got some some questions going on here. Do you guys ever use waterways to kayaks, ice canoe, um, into remote areas to hunt? Yeah, I yep. do. Um, um, not as much as I did when I was younger, but uh, I still do. I got a couple kayaks. I got one rigged up specifically for bow hunting. And uh, the reason is, is I bought a cheap kayak, like one of those $250 Menards ones. Yeah. So uh, I built a plate on it uh, for the front of it that's, uh, that has mounting holes on it and stuff and places to mount a tree stand and a bow and stuff. So I put yeah. everything on the front of that uh, kayak. And then I bought a uh, a very small inflatable raft that will fit a deer. Mm-hmm. It uh, folds up in a little box, and I kind of figured that as a one-time use when I shoot a deer yeah. or put it in a kayak. Uh, but the only time I ever used it to get a deer out, I shot the deer, went back, and got the uh, got out, and uh, didn't recover it the same day because of um i wasn't sure on the hit and when i came back it was completely devoured by kayaks uh coyotes oh so really in the raft yeah hmm. i i use a kayak a couple times a year on different spots um i used one up in, in wisconsin this year getting into uh back in the swamp you know um when i was hunting with gary not when i was hunting with you uh early season um i have we have a few of them too that we use when I was hunting Kentucky, I used them all the time in Kentucky. There's a lot of rivers and uh, lakes and stuff down there that I used them on. It's definitely a tool that I think most deer hunters should have, you know, if there's any water at all around you. I bought a uh, a canoe because I, I like canoes a lot better than kayaks. Yeah. Um, and I just found it so hard to haul that thing around. Yeah. It's so hard to tie on your vehicle and stuff and hard to keep on. And it's Yeah. Like, I bought a... Uh, Lean back towards the kayaks. They are a little easier to deal with. I bought a uh, a hitch extender for my my truck. You can get them at Har- like Har- Harbor Freight for like eighty bucks. It goes mm-hmm. in your hitch and it extends it out like five feet. It's, mm. it's supposed to be for boards and stuff, you know, like a like for construction. But it works pretty good for it. You'll canoe. have to show me that because I got that short box on there. I, if I had that, I might be able to take my canoe in the box, and I'd like it a little better. Because I got a couple spots that I still want to get into where I need a canoe or a kayak, and I'd much rather have the canoe. I've had a few yeah. uh, few times when you uh, end up getting soaked on very cold days with a kayak. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless you buy, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't know what the ones to buy. But it seems like if you, unless you buy a real expensive kayak. They're just not very stable either. Um, and so somebody somebody uh, commented on a very old video today um, of ours mm-hmm. on, on my page um, where I did a story about or, or a video on uh, whitetails and water. Yeah. And 
and I must have some stuff in there about my kayak use in there. And uh, I think it shows some of the kayak hunting and stuff. And he mm -hmm. said that uh, he uses a kayak and he uses some something or he goes, you can put all your equipment on it. You can, you can stand on it. You can't get wet on it and all this stuff. And he says, but the downfall is a thousand bucks. Yeah. I paid 50 for mine. I needed right. two of them because I had a buddy and you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not made of money to buy something that I use once or once a year, or once every other year, right. a thousand bucks a piece and get two grand on into them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I like canoes better. I use a canoe all the time. I got a pretty decent canoe that I, I like. Um, I can you use just a link to that, uh, that hitch extender. thing. Yeah, yeah I will. I'm a little more. Yeah. You can find them at Harbor Freight there. I mean, I, they, they, it was well under a hundred bucks. I think. I might um, even be able to just look at what it is and make one. Yeah. If you can just imagine, it's just something that goes, it just goes into your hitch, comes out and then, um, comes up even with your bed. And it's just like a little box that you can, you're supposed to be able to put boards in, but kayak fits or canoe fits in there too. I hate Harbor Freight because everything's from China. Yeah. I know, but it's cheap. Oh. <laughs> it's oh. it works. Oh. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, cause you can spend a lot of money on that kind of crap. Yeah. And then, I know, but I gotta have something to do when I go to work at, during the day. Well, yeah, you can make, if you can make one, that's no big deal. Yeah. You can make one out of the aluminum. Making stuff for your hunting trips. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, see, Cause like, like today, I mean, it didn't look like I was working and the boss was like, you finally back from your, uh, your, uh, hour and a half look for sheds. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, that was, <laughs> for it. he's like, well, I got a job there waiting for him. I'm like, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Here's another question. How often do you guys check, check trail cameras in season? So he's talking about uh, checking cars before a heavy rain, um, but wonder if you see, uh, you know, you know how much you check them in season. I would strongly suggest that if you're going to be uh, checking cameras in season, and then if you have an incredible urge to be checking them, that you use cell cams and don't get your scent by them, and use ones that have good battery life. Um, I think checking those cards is bad. I think uh, it's just like hunting a spot. Sitting the camera there is just like hunting the spot. I think the the main thing for those cameras, um, the regular cameras, is just let them sit. And with that said, I do check some cameras. I put them on food sources and stuff where I don't intend on hunting, and then I'll check them whenever I come by. Yeah. Or if I go into hunting area, one thing I did like with uh, with Josh when I went out hunting with Josh, Josh had some cameras at some good spots, and. Uh, we're looking at maps and he's like, Hey, I got a camera in there. I'm like, okay. So I go in there to hunt, um, because the spot looked good on a map and I get in there and he showed me where his camera was. He gave me some coordinates. I find a camera. I check it. There's no deer on it. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. Yeah. So, I mean, it saved me from sitting there basically. Right. Um, so I mean, there's situations where I check them, but I certainly don't put them in a kill spot and go and check them. If mm -hmm. I'm checking them, they're probably in a feeding area or in a funnel or something where they're, they're okay with human activity. Where I hunt, I feel like uh, where I go in for the kill, that if I get my scent in there to check a camera, that I am burning that bridge for the year, probably. So for me, 
those cameras that you check the cards on, I'm putting those back by food, I'm putting them at trail crossings. Um, like in the Conservancy, it was real nice to put them right on the, the hiking trails where the deer crosses over near a bedding area. Yeah. Or a little funnel that goes into the oaks or, or something like that. And you could check them anytime you walk past. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to hunt right there. You know, because they'll, they'll pick up on that scent so fast. How about you, Josh? You use a lot of cameras. Yeah. Um, and I, I am very conscious when I'm like putting a trail camera up about how I'm going to place it in a way that I can sneak in here without crossing the deer trail um, and checking it and then being able to, you know, hop out or set or whatever I'm going to uh, end up doing. Um, I think that's real useful. Like say if you, you know, you have a camera in a hill country hub that you want to check that's over a scrape or something, being able to kind of sneak down in that hub and have that camera. In a, trails and yep, stuff, right? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, they, so, so uh, I had a couple spots where I set them up and shot over a deadfall. Yeah. Like on the ridge, especially when you're running a ridge right on a certain trail, if there's a deadfall. But uh, that's a good yep. point. Yep. Some people just willy nilly put the trail camera up and then go cross the deer trail to get back to their truck, you know, and it's like, just put it on the side of the deer trail where you don't have to cross it, you know. Uh, and that's not saying deer, they're, they can still go over there and smell you. You know, they can get curious. Of, they probably can smell you that you've been over there. Uh, but at least you're not stomping all over the, the deer trail and everything else. Um, all right. Uh, Tyler Welch asks, what percentage of hunters are willing to put the effort of the beast style crossing swamps, miles of hiking, etc.? I have no idea. <laughs> I would say I would say it's uh, the numbers getting higher. That's for sure. Um, I see a lot of people willing to put the effort into going way out in the swamps now, um, or way out into the hills. And I think a lot of that isn't the water and stuff that they're afraid of. I think it was getting lost because now, now that they, ever since the uh, onyx came around, people are getting way back. Yeah. Um, what they're not doing is figuring out the B style of getting alongside the roads off to the sides, the overlook spots. That is still pretty pristine. Um, especially if you get away from my backyard. Um, yeah. A lot of guys around me are doing it pretty much. But when I get, uh, you know, central Wisconsin or, or I get out to um, one of the other states that we go to, I don't see hardly anybody um, hunting the overlook spots. Matter of fact, I'll have people tell me that, uh, you know, come to my state, try that, and I'll go there, and I'll, yeah, they're everywhere. It's better than back home. Mm -hmm. you know? I think, I think uh, apps like OnX are probably the top reason uh, there's more hunters in the woods now, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It just makes it, it gives people so much confidence to uh, go places and, and do things. Uh, whereas before, you either had to be able to run a compass and a map or, you know, buy an expensive handheld GPS that was real clunky and crappy to use anyway, you know. And that was a skill. It was a skill to know how to use yeah. the GPS and it was a skill to know how to use the uh, compass. Yeah. And um, you almost need a map with the compass. And, you know, now it's made it real easy. So, yeah. um, you know, because everybody uses a phone, everybody plays on their phone all day. So when they get an app like that, it's just, it's simple for people and they've learned how to navigate better. And uh, I found that a lot of the time, the places I go to, the most remote, hardest places to get to seem to have the most 
um, pressure, at least from uh, people that know what they're doing hunting. And when you get out there, you have a hard time because people are in there really pressuring those spots. Now, I still find spots where I go all the way across a swamp to an island or something. You got to wade through waist deep water where you don't see anybody. Mm-hmm. But eventually people get there, like gun season and things like that. But those overlooked spots alongside the road, a lot of them, during the entire hunting season, don't see a person. Yeah. People seem to show up when shed antler hunting comes. Yeah. All right. Veteran out- Outdoorsman asks, would you hunt a dry oxbow the same way you would hunt an oxbow with water flowing in it? A dry oxbow was going to have a creek bed with no water in it? I'm yeah. Assuming. I'm assuming that's what he means, yeah. If they're bedding there, um, I don't know. I, they might just walk out through the dry dry creek bed. They might walk through the funnel in the front, but they do that with water too. So I guess they'd kind of hunt it the same, but uh, I would expect they'd be even more likely to just cross the creek bed. I would think the ones with water would probably be better for mature bucks because I think they'd feel safer there. Um, I think the water is a big part of the safety. Um, but I also know that deer are creatures of habit. And like, um, like we discussed at the uh, workshop, Josh, that one point, I mean, they tend to bed those points when the west wind blows down them, right? Mm-hmm. They bedded those more than the east ones. We discussed that in the workshop. But uh, when the wind blows from the east, I still find the bucks bedded there because they're used to bedding there. So it's possible yeah. we'll use an oxbow like that, but I don't think they'd they'd prefer an oxbow to have to be dry. I think they'd want the water. Yeah. Yep. All right. Jesse asked, uh, "Do you have any tips for someone hunting an area that is an old cow pasture that is very thick and very little elevation change across the property?" Oh, sounds like I think uh, I would would look at the the patterns of brush and the patterns of uh, of uh, edge, and I would look at the transitions and I would see what's going on in there. You know, just like you're looking at a marsh or anything else, you can walk those transitions and stuff. Um, The biggest buck I ever shot was in an overgrown old cow pasture that hadn't been used in a few years. He was living under a willow tree in the middle of it that uh, got some brush growing around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to be in islands of brush. They're going to be on transition edges. Same stuff. Yeah. I, I know one thing. Uh, they don't like cows. You put yeah. cows in the pastures, they don't like it so much. Yeah, Not I was... Uh... Them or anything, they'll go out there, but you sure don't see them in cow pastures. Yep. That's when I uh, went and scouted uh, Iowa last year during the this time of year, and a lot of the ground was cow pastures. But then he, the farmer was like, "Yeah, I take them out in September." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Like, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't After know. They eat all the food and, and uh, right. Knock it's barren ground that they uh, bedded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway. This is a pretty good question from Josh Banks. He asks, um, if an area had no pressure with hills and cattail swamps, where would you expect the mature bucks to bed in the cattails or in the hills? That's a very good question. 
Uh, I've seen him do both. I remember uh, one, a guy I was hunting with shot. Um, it was a big buck, and he had a lot of history with that buck, and he had a run in with it in, uh, in the Cattail Marsh. And a few days later, he shot it in the hills out of mm. a hill bed. Same buck. Um, I think with no pressure, they bed both. Um, especially if it's in a hill area. Now, let, let me really lay that out. In the hill terrain, like you get out in western Wisconsin in the hills, they bed in both with, with low pressure. Now, when you start seeing there's a few hills, I mean, I think it's ingrained in them that they bed swamps, lower stuff, you know. Um, I do know by me, by my house where I live, which is only two hours from really great hill country, because I hunt the hill country. I'll do it in an afternoon sometimes right from work. Um, the hill country will have them bedded in the hills. And there's some great hills over by my house that uh, you can't even find a bed in. But the yeah. swamps are full. And uh, the big difference is, is there's people walking around all over the place here. There's yeah. not no hills over in the hill country. So um, I would say that... Uh, Cattails and, and swamps, if it's good terrain, usually trump the hills. Um, but low pressure, I would put them in both. You add any kind of pressure, and they're going straight to them swamps, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Josh Traeger asks, when hunting down a buck, when you have uh, – no, you know he's in the area, but he you can't get eyes on him. How would you go about picking the next 10 acres to set up in if you have no leads, but you know he's in the area? Hmm. So I'm going to start out where I know he's been. So if I know a buck's in an area, I might have uh, eyes on him. I might have a camera picture. Maybe I got several, several clues. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to start scouting around. And I'm going to follow transitions and edges around and look for sign and set up on bedding areas. And I'm going to just start fanning out from about where he lives out. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, um, let the area get bigger and bigger. And I'll probably cover an area that's probably, you know, a mile or so if it's, if it's all contag one contagious place. You know, a lot of times you'll have uh, roads will dictate that it's a smaller spot. You know, he's within this area. But, uh, you, you know, I'm just thinking of different properties like the, the Cattail Marsh we scouted on the workshop. I'll run into a buck in there, and I'll probably cover a mile of, of terrain that he lives in. Now, like uh, the buck that uh, I was hunting this year, the big 10-pointer. Yeah. That one, I wasn't sure where he was coming from. I was doing some spotty hunts at him. And um, I got some clues from the neighbor who had seen him. He was after him. Um, and the, and he didn't, like, go out of his way to tell me. But uh, we went along Jason of his property to hunt, and he got pissed about it. And he came over and said, hey, stay away from my border. I'm hunting this big 10-pointer that's coming through there. And uh, I showed him a picture. I'm like, this one? He goes, yeah, that's the buck. He's coming right through my property, coming from over there. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. No, <laughs> you know. So then I knew it was coming from behind this property, more into the public than you know. So then mm -hmm. uh, I started looking around and figuring things out, and I really couldn't get a grasp on them. And then, I mean, it's a good two miles away, 
But in that direction, Jacob picks up his uh, shed antler. Not from this year, but from last year. Right. It tells me that deer has a home range over there. So it starts putting the pieces together. And as those pieces come together, I keep moving in. And now I'm, now I think I got a really, really good grasp for this year. And now I'm scouting in this year to go after them. So that's yep. kind of how I do it is I just, you get clues and you hunt an area down. Sometimes you got one clue, sometimes you got multiples, but the clues start adding up as you're hunting. You start seeing them or you start seeing less sign. Usually in these public lands, there's only so many monster bucks around. I could leave monster bucks sign. So if you're finding the sign, you're on them. Right. Right. All right. Yard dad asks, when were legal is the best time to shine fields for deer? Uh, I would say um, doing it several times during the night is the best. I mean, I probably located my best bucks at, you know, um, three or four in the morning uh, in Wisconsin. Now, that's only legal um, to a certain date here during the summer. And then they close it for the season. You can you can shine them till ten after that date, um, but uh, I would say no one time is the good time, because uh, what I've done with patterning deer with uh, um, spotlights is I find them in one spot and then you start kind of watching around there. And I don't want to overshine them because if you start going there every night to shine them, you're going to spook them out of the area. Right. They're they're really uh, delicate to that. I just want to locate him. Know he's there, and if you keep shining it, other people will notice that, and then they'll start shining there, right? Yeah. But what I do want to do is occasionally change up the times and try to get directions of travel. See if I'm seeing him in different fields. Start to get a network of where he's coming out, popping out, and where he's going into, and um, get a better understanding of where I got to look at to hunt. You know, if I'm seeing him at eleven o'clock in a field, um. And that field's private, but it's near public. I want to start putting something together. Okay, where is he at 10? Where is he at 1? Not necessarily where is he at 11. I already know that. I I want to start getting a a picture of a direction of travel. Where is he ending up in the morning? Where is he coming from in the evening? And uh, start putting a map together of uh, just exactly how those travels go. And then I can kind of get a better grasp on guessing exactly where he came from and where he's going to yeah i don't i'd probably haven't spent as much time um shining as i i should the last 10 years honestly i just oh yeah i've dropped uh, the ball a lot too and i just uh i spend a lot more time just out physically scouting nowadays but i've done really well with my shining it's yeah. actually a, my biggest buck was killed from shining I found it from China, and that's what put me in the area. It took oh, me really? two years to kill him after I found him, but uh, I found him shining. A sleepless mm-hmm. July night. I couldn't sleep. I just was wide awake staring at the ceiling. So I said, oh, i got a cramp. So I just decided to... Uh... You all right? Yeah. <laughs> What's cramping? Or I don't want to know. Oh, my muscle, my leg muscle. Oh, I hate that. You're in the workshop, Dan. I didn't. I didn't tell say saying anybody, but I yawned or something, and my chin cramped up that like muscle below my tongue or something. I've never had that do that, and it felt like a golf ball was in there. Like I was like, "Oh, what the heck," you know? And that like kind of freaked me out. I'm like, because it felt like my. I mean, it was a cramp. It hurt, you know. 
I was like, what ha- What just happened, you know? And it slowly went away, and I Googled it, and I'm like, oh, it's, I guess it's a common thing. Like, when you yawn, sometimes it'll cramp up on you if you're dehydrated. You didn't, or You didn't drink Wisconsin water, did you? Yeah, I probably did. Just a little bit of it, oh, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a larvae. You got, about, you got about 20 days to live. Oh, well, I had a good run. All right. <laughs> I think we answered that question. I don't know. <laughs> you ought to ask Tyler Witt. He he shines all the time. He's in the comments. Ask him when the best time is. He's probably done more shine in the last 10 years than me and Dan have. Uh, a lot more. I I'd think say. you need to pat him. I'll, I'll tell you this, too. Um, to go back on that, I've noticed that deer come out at certain times, and they differ day to day, and there seems to be a shift. Like you're seeing them at 10 o'clock one night. And uh, a week later, you're seeing them at 12 o'clock. And, and, you know, five days later, you're seeing them at 2 o'clock. There yeah. just seems to be this shift of timing when they're coming out. And it's hmm. different at night than during the day where it really revolves around uh, morning, you know, dawn and dusk. At night, yeah. they seem to have more active times for some reason, of feeding times. I think maybe it revolves around more around the uh, moon. The moon phases seem to work more... Um, in deer that are unstressed completely. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At night, they're completely unstressed. Yeah. Voice of the voiceless truth. He says, uh, do you think the Ohio deer are going to grow massive due to the chemical fallout? <laughs> I think he's talking about that train that <laughs> wrecked over there. Then you go for the yeah, put a respirator on and go throw some trail cameras over there somewhere for the season. They're going to get addicted to that stuff and you're going to get mugged out there hunting. <laughs> oh, man. That's a bad deal, though. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm going through through some yeah, questions sure ain't here. much news about that. Do what? They're sure keeping that quiet. Ain't much news going on about yeah. that. I don't. I don't I didn't hear much about it um, other than the initial thing. Um, would you allow dogs slash hunters on your property to take out coyotes? I do. Yeah. I allow coyotes, I'm, uh, dog hunters I'm on uh, Dave's property, and it's solely up to me now. Um, yeah. But, uh, man, that cramp won't go away. But uh, I don't necessarily like it. But uh, they couldn't they couldn't run my block um, unless I let them because their dogs are going to run through my property. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, I make them wait till after season, which they're always uh, itching, especially in a year like this year when they opened up January because they always want to hunt January because yeah. of the, um, you know, they got a limited season, right? Yeah. So they're always calling me going, you done hunting yet? But uh, I do yeah. let them hunt on the property, yeah. Yeah, I would too. I don't have property. I don't own property to like give permission, people permission on. But I won't um, let them on deer hunting during yeah. the season. While I'm hunting, and they can't come on. Most of the dog hunters around here don't start until after deer season. Um, just too much, you know. Too the one. Too the one thing I wonder about too, though. I mean, if you let a dog hunter on your property, here's here's one downfall of that. If they come through there and uh, 
they often have a whole bunch of people in their group. Even if you trust the guy that's running it, they'll send somebody over to, okay, the dogs are running that way, run over there. It'll just be somebody that came along that day or something. What do you think that person is going to do when he's parked up in your field and he's out there waiting for the dogs to run on? He looks down and he sees this massive shed antler laying on your property. I think it's going to end no. up in his truck. Yeah, probably. But um, I guess I didn't think about stuff like that. Uh, it's the same time frame, right? When the antlers are dropping. This is, which is another reason why I don't like them running the, the coyotes through there at that time. Because if you're running the deer out of there, the deer are going to shed in someplace else. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily yeah. care about all the little shed antlers and stuff, but um, if there's something really big out there, I'd like to find the shed. And for the main reasons that somebody else doesn't find it because then they're on to your deer. Yeah. I I really try to have the perspective of, uh, like, I, I'm pretty aware that I'm a very serious deer hunter. And I, and I try to, you know, have the mindset that there's very serious guys that want to coyote hunt real bad too, just as much as I want to, you know, right. deer hunt or rabbit hunt or something, you know whatever the case may be. So it's like, uh, one thing is just fill up the rules. I mean, say, Hey, you find shit. Yeah. They're mine. Yeah. You, uh, you know, um, you can't come on till after season. See, I had a problem with these guys once I made rules and they broke them. Yeah. They ended up coming onto the property while I was still hunting and said, well, we thought you were gone. And, uh, um, I just made it clear. It won't happen again. You know, I let right. them back on. But it won't happen again. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, yeah, sometimes us as deer hunters, like especially public land hunters, we get like, we get this, uh, we're holy, holier than everybody else. You know, that this is our, our season and stuff. It's like, it's also squirrel season and rabbit season. And it's like, you know, those, those people have a right to do that, uh, oh, yeah. too. But anyway. Yeah. I like coyote. Uh, hunting. I like what they're doing. I think it's fun. I, I don't have nothing against it and I'd like yeah. to let them out. I just don't want them to wreck what I'm doing when it's right. private. That's right. Fine. And they right. got their own. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's different. Public and private is totally different. Like you guys, if you have the rights to the private land, like it, it's, it's yours to make the decision anyway. Um, Dan, what part of Wisconsin would you try for the first time? I think he means like he's coming to Wisconsin for the first time. First time I came to Wisconsin to shoot a deer, I'd go to Iowa. <laughs> Iowa, Iowa County, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and probably, yeah. So I think that uh, genetics-wise, I think my area is the best for really, really big bucks. But I think uh, the odds of getting one are hard. Um, I think they get really huge over in the southeastern corner um, with little age. But with that said, I think there's more big bucks running around and they're easier to kill in uh the hill country and i think the best destination to go that gets a little more similar to um like iowa or ohio is the south um western corner of the state where you get by crawford iowa saw county grant county that area is a, a very good area for big bucks and uh first time you come and hunt wisconsin they have a deal you get the tag for 85 dollars your first yeah, time. Yeah, it's half off. Yeah, and even when you don't have half off, 160 bucks ain't bad. So it's a great place to hunt and very um, underrated. A lot of people don't talk about it, but um, that is a, a great destination, great hunting. It's not as good as it used to be. 
um, because they've killed a lot of deer there with their CWD um, over harvesting to keep the numbers down. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's still um, a lack of hunters and a lot of hill country over there, a lot of spotty uh, um, properties. Um, you can get into some stuff. That's where uh, Josh shot the buck on our Battle of the Bows. He shot it out that way. Mm -hmm. That's a good area. All right. Matt asks, how has shed hunting helped your early season hunts? For me, I just, I use shed hunting as a way of like, you know, figuring out where deer, uh, you know, deer are left over for the next year kind of thing. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Shed hunting's helped me where I know a buck's around. I've found right. sheds and killed the deer. I've done that many times. Um, I don't know that I've, I can't think of off the top of my head, shooting one right away early season from a shed I found, but, um, uh, I have found sheds and it's tipped me off that a deer's in the area and I end up killing it. Um, yeah. the trouble with it is, is sometimes you pick up that shed and that deer lives right there all the time. Sometimes you pick up that shed and that deer's wintering there and right. you don't live anywhere near there. So the yeah. shed alone doesn't tell you a whole lot, but, um, it gives you hope. I think it depends on where you're at. I mean, I don't think we have wintering stuff in southern indiana i don't think deer need to yeah but you know, because... it doesn't just take wintering i mean i've seen deer without wintering just have huge home ranges and where they yeah. live in is different than where they live in the summer and it might mm -hmm. only be a mile but a mile can put them way out of where you can hunt yeah you know so yep. i'm not really saying wintering ranges yeah I mean, it's, every deer is different mm -hmm. um i i i really enjoy going in we have some public around here too you can't run trail camera so i love hunting in there for sheds and uh -huh. just to give me an idea of there's something you know I'll, I'll pick i picked up a couple of really big sheds in this that area and you know hunted it the next year because i knew that deer was probably living in there uh -huh. um well but, i know you've picked up sheds and then got pictures of those bucks right in the same area and stuff oh yeah bunch of times yeah uh -huh. a bunch of times um so it's just like you said earlier it's a it's a another really nice piece of the puzzle, you know, to right. figure out, you know, he's here sometimes for some reason. You know, a lot, that's the, that's the thing. Everybody's looking for a rock solid way to kill this deer. Once they, once they know he exists and just about everything we use is not rock solid. You don't know for sure. It's all little hints and little tips on where he could be, what he what could be doing. And you kind of put them all together like a detective and it all starts coming together when you get multiple clues and you just got to keep hunting for those clues. Yeah. Whether it's a shed, whether it's a, you know, massive rub. See, you find that massive rub out there. You have no guarantees of that buck. You have no, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Everything you have no guarantees of actually seeing the buck is a guarantee, but then even that's one piece of the puzzle. You don't know why he was there or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. For sure. Can you explain a bit about thermal pools around hills and water? Okay. Um, that question gets asked to me almost every time I talk. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of confusion there. So um, thermals and hills. When the sun is shining on the ground, ground heats up, air rises. So the, the warm air, the ground will, 
what happens is the ground heats up and it warms the air above the ground, warmer than the rest of the air, which causes that air right at ground level to rise. As it rises, it pulls in other air, you know, like cold air that's heating as it's pulling in. And it has this, this constant effect of movement. And where you get a thermal to follow a hill upward is when you get a leeward wind blowing over that hill. So the wind's blowing over the hill on the opposite side on the slope. It will pull that wind like along the hill up it from the vacuum that goes over. Um, and that'll, get, that'll take your scent from the bottom of the hill and pull it to a deer up the hill. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about water thermals, water thermals are nowhere near as strong as hill thermals. In, in the hills, um, what I forgot to say was uh, when the sun goes away and a shadow goes over the uh, valley, the ground will cool. And when the ground cools, the opposite thing will happen. Air will start falling down the hills to that, to, uh, and it'll just drain right down those hills and down those uh, washouts and stuff, just like as if you poured water on there. And it's a pretty strong movement of wind in steep ground. If it's steep, mm -hmm. large hills, it's a, actually a very large movement. You're going to have two wind directions out there. You're going to have the actual wind and you're going to have the thermal wind. And the thermal wind is going to change a couple times a day, a few times a day. So um, when you get to water thermals, it's nowhere near as powerful as hill thermals. It's a very little movement. It's hard to notice. But if you get near stagnant water and stagnant water that has like a mud bottom that's shallow, the sun will heat it up when it heats up, you know, uh, when it's shining through into the mud underneath. And it'll heat up this water and make it like a bathtub temperature. And it'll do the same thing the warm uh, ground does. It'll uh, heat the air above it and that'll rise and pull air into it. So if you're on a land mass and you're close to that warmer water, your, your scent, can, when it gets calm, can pull down towards that water. And, and if you naturally, if you had to win from the water to your face and you're expecting a deer in front of you, when it gets calm, you could have, when you can't feel the air, you might have it go into the water. Um, but the distance it pulls to that water usually isn't great distances unless you're, you know, by the edge of a big lake. I know the, the pullover by Lake Michigan be, can be quite dramatic, but most of what we're doing is not giant. Right. Great not lakes, Lake Michigan. Know? Yeah. Right. And a lot right. of times the cattails will shade the water. So it's not getting as much sun. So it's not as warm. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the water um, generally takes a while to cool after it starts getting shady out. So you can get that pull right up till dark. All right. Dylan asked, in your opinion, what state is the hardest state to kill a mature whitetail? Probably like Alaska. I don't think there's whitetails there. That would be a hard one. Hawaii. <laughs> no, we probably should. We probably should. Uh, fusion would be bad. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. So you, you know that's that's a, a loaded question because yeah, um, there are good spots in every state and there's bad spots in every state. I mean, you can go to spots in Iowa where all it is is cornfields for miles. And be like, what's everybody raving about? You can yeah. go to Wisconsin and find the greatest spot in the world when just down the street there's 
you can't find a deer. Yeah. Um, so every state has its uh, ups and every state has its downs. Now, if you're going to say, where can I kill the biggest one? Where can I kill this? Where can I kill that? That's a whole different story. Um, or if I'm only hunting public land, I mean, it's a wide open question. I would say, um, what state is the hardest to kill a mature buck? Oh, geez. Mm. It's probably something like one of those, uh, like maybe like Southern Florida or places like that where they, I don't know if mature, that's a different story though. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I know guys that do pretty good in Florida with, yeah, you know, bucks. I, had, I have our bucks, but they're still mature. That's what I had in my mind, like a big buck, you know, like a booner. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's big, like we said earlier, I think we said on the podcast before, it's like, if there's, there's big deer in every state, like nearly, you know, it's just, um, it's a tough question. If the UP was the state, I'd say that's pretty hard up there, but you still get mature buck up there. Yeah. I I don't know. You get them everywhere. It's. Yeah. All right. Dave asks, do you guys notice less sign like rubs and scrapes in spots with a great historical sign? It seems to be a theme for me across multiple areas while postseason scouting. I kind of got a theory about this, maybe. That's true. Uh, if it's, if it's uh, historically has sign there, I, I think sometimes those historical areas begin to get pressure. And then all of a sudden, all you see there the next year is old sign and then Next year is still just old sign, and eventually it's just, um, you know, not a good spot anymore, you know, because people are getting in there because they've seen this, find, found this historic sign finally. Um, that may be what's happening to you. I don't know. I think uh, historical sign can be two different things if it's not getting signed the next year. It could be that the deer's dead, or it could be that, uh, and I think that's quite common that there's one deer that was doing it in these days. Yeah. But I think uh, the the second thing could be that it's uh, it shows up every other year, and you're looking at the year in between, like it acorns can be, uh, or something, biannual um, because of a food source that's mm-hmm. biannual. Yep, that's true too. Like you were, you mentioned that in the workshop this weekend. I think you have a spot to where, like, if you find, um, you know, good sign postseason scouting, you need to wait two years to hunt that spot. Right, and, and you were you were at the workshops last year, right? Yeah. How'd the, oak, how'd the oak areas look with rubs this year versus the, last year? Yeah. Didn't have I, well, I, went to, I went to the Hill Country one last year. Oh, I can't sorry. remember. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so so one year to the next, last year, those the points going into those oak trees were tore up because there was acorns. Yeah. And, and coming out of that uh, finger were tore up because there was acorns. Um, and this year, there's a couple rubs. You know, um, yeah. Next year they'll be ripped up again. Yep. The one spot that was the overlooked spot that you take everybody to first that that looked like it had some killer historical sign behind us there when we were standing there. Yeah, that's that's the that uh, much there first year in a while that I haven't seen that all ripped up. But uh, yeah. there was also a scent wick hanging there that nobody else yeah. really before. There you go. That proves my theory earlier. All right. You think Ricky Pooh is going to score on a big one this year? Uh, I don't know. 
question. Uh, I think, I think he will. he's definitely going to put an effort into it, but I don't know if he'll get it done. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I got a little confidence in him, but it's a little bit here. <laughs> so, he needs to work a little harder. I saw him give up too easy. I mean, I'd be on stuff and he wouldn't want to go hunt. And he'd say, I'm on a really big one over here. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Coming in 10 days in a row. I hope okay. he shoots a big one. So do I. Um, all He's right. Hey, watch whether it does or not. Yeah. I hope, he, I hope he goes the whole season. And doesn't get anything, and he's frustrated, falls down in the marsh, and all that kind of crap. And then the last day, at the last minute, one just comes stumbling on front of him, and he kills it. That'd be great because we get a whole season of laughs, and he'd still get his deer. Jeez, so. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something nice about like he. But it's nice. Great... It's nice. I hope that for myself <laughs> too. I hope I hope I struggle all season and kill it the last day. That's a yeah, the truth. Right. Right. Just that little last sentence you said about that we can we can laugh at him all season. That was what I thought maybe you was. You don't like that. Oh. Right? I like laughing okay. at him. But I'm different. Right. I like people laughing at me too. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hayden had a good question. Would you shoot a coyote while hunting? And would it ruin that spot? Um. Yeah, I probably would. I mean, if the coyote's coming through, there's probably not a deer standing there and I've shot a lot of coyotes while I was uh, bow hunting uh, for deer. I think I've gotten about uh, nine or ten of them now um, while bow hunting deer that I've shot. And there's been a few that I've let go when I'm on something really big and I'm in a really cool spot or something like that. I'll let them go. Um, yeah. But usually if I think I can get away with it, I shoot them. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably the same way. I've, I think I've shot everyone I've had an opportunity with. <laughs> we also have a gigantic coyote population in the hills here in indiana because dog hunters don't hunt them up there and people don't seem to trap on public land in the hills and that kind of stuff so um man there get to be a lot lot of them i mean that one 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 year up there um my my buddy global he was he saw like multiple coyotes almost every sit he sat in the hills it was just horrible um mm. but it is what it is they're there so um, a lot of people, I mean, they, they'll yip like as the sun goes down, you know, and that freaks a lot of people out. Uh, you know, there's something interesting about that, too, is, uh, you know, I shoot a lot of coyotes while I'm bow hunting, and I see a lot of coyotes when I'm bow hunting. And I'll talk to other bow hunters, and they'll tell me they've never seen a coyote in their whole career of hunting. But if you're doing setups and you're catching big bucks off guard where they don't know you're there, that's what it takes to get coyotes in front of you. Um, yeah. Because those coyotes are real delicate. They're, they make a deer look oh, stupid. Man. Yeah. So if they hit your scent, they hit your scent trail, they will not be back. It'll be yep. weeks before they go through that area again. I've seen them hit your scent trail and they'd turn around and run where deer walk right over it. You know, um, so if you're getting coyotes in front of you, you're doing something right. Yeah. Here's an interesting question from Brandon. What would you do if your taxidermy person still had your buck from 21 and keeps promising it's in the works the last two years <laughs> no, my taxidermy is fast it Do usually takes a little over a year but i've seen them take two years yeah i think it's uh more common now too i think last year or in 21 i think there was some shortages of uh forms because there were some foam issues 
in the United States. I know they had some problems getting forms um, for the Bucks. It was just like the like everything else in the world. It was it was hard to get like spray insulation and anything that had to deal with foam. It was uh, tell you what, squeaky wheel, part. man, squeaky wheel, bother yeah. Them up. What the heck? What's going on? Call them up in a yeah. week. You, you were maybe ask you working on this thing. Yeah. If you can maybe ask like this because yeah. raced it done. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, I always tell my taxidermist that uh, um, if anybody's only got a couple deer or something, and they're really excited and they want their deer do theirs first. Yeah. I don't care if they do mine first or second or last or yeah. whatever. So he always does mine last. But I still get it in about a year, year and a half. Yeah. Yours just gets hung back up in the taxidermy shop, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's been um, after me because uh, remember two years ago when I shot those coyotes when I was deer hunting? Yeah. With the gun when they surrounded the deer I was after and I just unloaded yeah. in the whole hurt, back of them. Uh, I had those all, I skinned them all out and I had them tanned. Yeah. They've, they've been done for about a year. He's been trying to get me to pick them up. <laughs> My uncle's a taxidermy. He does all my taxidermy, and he he usually takes I don't know maybe about six months. Usually I don't know something like that, um, which is I think pretty fast in the taxidermy world anymore. If so, I ever get this damn building done, I'm going to put all the all the taxidermy in that building. And then we can throw a big party and invite everybody out there. That'd be fun. Free beast event. Yep, Jacob can have a fish fry there for us. Right, right. There you go. Um, okay. We've talked about this a little bit, but we can talk about it again. Have you, have you guys ever had luck calling bucks in? He said, I've called in a few with a snort wheeze, but never had luck with any other calls. Yeah. Um, the only, the only luck I've ever had with a snort wheeze, cause I never snort wheezed was that one that, um, Joe Rentmeister called in for me that I, Oh yeah. Almost Pennsylvania. Brother, that, that old ancient buck in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But, uh, I've grunted in a lot of them. Um, I don't grunt to deer blindly. But if um, I see a deer or hear a deer and it's not coming my way and, it's, and I want to shoot it, I'll grunt to it. And I have called in a lot that way. But I do not call blind. I have called to deer that I, I see that are not coming to me, that have no idea I'm there, and you call and they run. So if I'm set up correctly, why would I want to take the chance of blowing a deer out of there? Why would I want to take a chance of spooking them? So mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I don't blind call. Um, I have in the past, um, but uh, for the most part, you know, when I was younger, I'm, I'm saying I have in the past. For the most part, now I just, I don't call at all. I, I might grunt three times in a season, and it's only to deer I see. And the biggest reason is I can sit out in the woods during during rut. And hear people grunting and people rattling in the distance almost every day during the rut. And it just blows my mind. You got to think of all the deer out there to listen to that same thing. You think they're just going to run into that stuff? You got to catch them in the right mood, you know, in the, on the right day. Um, I got one good story about calling. I When I rattled one in one time, I took a guy from work hunting with me. And this is way back in the 80s. And uh, I got this new job. I was trying to impress the boss. So I took his kid hunting with me. Mm -hmm. I'd only been working there like a week. And uh, um, the kid was hunting across this field for me. Um, and we could see each other, but we were probably 400 yards away. 
and uh, it was peak rut and I rattled antlers and I put the antlers down and also I look up and there's this deer running right at me and it's coming from that kit. Well, apparently, according to him, it was walking right out and he was about to shoot it when I called it and it ran to me and he, he had the idea that I didn't want him to shoot it. So I called it away from him, thought I could see it. And if I would have been looking over, I would have been able to see it. So it ran all the way up to me and uh, um, slowed to a, a speedy walk as it got to my tree. I was in a willow tree in the crotch. And uh, I shot it at about a yard in front of my arrow. And uh, it was speed walking and then I hit it in the liver. Hmm. I turned around and it ran all the way back up by that guy and got to about 40 yards from him and stood there for the longest time then bedded down. And I'm thinking, when he gets out of the tree, he's going to spook it out of there. So I thought, well, I'm going to try and just sneak over there and get another arrow in it. So I go walking across this field, and it stood up, and I shot it again, and I shot it through the neck. Because it saw me, and I took a longer shot. But I figured, you can't yeah. wound a wounded deer, you know? Right. And then when I shot it through the neck, my arrow was still in it that I shot through its liver, because it kind of hit back, too. Yeah. And here this deer has two arrows going through it and it takes off running. And I pulled another arrow and I shot at it running and, and got it through the neck again and had two arrows going crossways through its neck and it barreled into the brush and died. And I do believe that I ended up losing that job because of that. Cause they thought I, <laughs> so I took the kid hunting to show him a good time. And uh, they thought I, uh, they thought I, uh, him and his dad thought I uh, purposely called that deer away from him so I could put it on my wall, you know? Uh, as worth the story yeah i guess i don't know maybe not maybe it's a good job <laughs> that's funny though i've uh i've killed one deer calling it in it was a giant deer too it filled dressed like 226 or something like that um but you could just tell i, I snort wheeze at him and he he thought he was the biggest deer in the woods like he came in i mean just mad like He's, his nose was like running like from all the snot because he was worked up, you know, and he's making scrapes and knocking over trees coming in. Then I shot him right through the heart and he fell over dead in sight. But uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, any other deer other than him probably wouldn't have came in. You know, they probably would have been like, oh, crap, you know, because he was around. Um, yep. So. All right. Lou asked, do you think Dan will hunt Lou's org swamp in southeast Michigan, or is he afraid? <laughs> oh, I'm man. <laughs> Someone also asked if... wants me there so bad. No, I, I would like to come out there and hunt with you, Lou. Um, I really do want to. I, I think that'd be yeah. fun. But I do have a pretty tight schedule this year. Let's see what happens. Um. I got an Iowa tag and I'm, I want to kill something in Wisconsin. Um, but I'm not opposed to running the Michigan if I start filling some tags. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Zeke outdoors asked if you, and I've, I've thought about this setting up in the tree too, Zeke. Um, if you're in a stand and the wind is blowing, does your scent follow uh, the milkweed? Um, or can the scent can your scent blow over the top of a deer that's walking under your tree? 
yeah, it can blow over a deer, but the milkweed usually goes where it's blowing. You know, um, it can be more than just the milkweed, though, the, the pattern of the one milkweed you drop. Try dr dropping a handful of them, like seven, eight of them at once. Yeah. And watch the pattern of them as it flows. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to me that your scent pretty much floats right where the milkweed does. Okay. I've watched it where when you drop that milkweed, you watch it land someplace. And you watch that deer come in and hit right where it landed is where they detect you. Hmm. And I've also seen it where they're walking underneath me and my milkweed's flowing over the top of them and they're not smelling me. It's been pretty consistent that, uh, I mean, not always. Sometimes they'll get right. a little, your scent can, you know, wander places. But for the most part, the milkweed is about the most accurate thing we have for where your, your scent is flowing. One yeah. little hint is I've heard a couple of people say there's a, you know, that the seed weighs it down. Well, take the damn seed off of it. You pop the little <laughs> seed off. Yeah, I take mine out. Um, Kelly Pegg asks, how much different is southern Indiana versus northern Indiana? Drastically different. It's like a different state almost. Uh, northern Indiana is extremely flat hill country, or uh, <laughs> flat hill country, flat farm country, and uh, southern Indiana is um, pretty hilly almost everywhere you hunt. Um, You're originally from here. Northern Indiana, aren't you? No, I'm. I'm actually. I'm originally from down here. I, my dad got a promotion when I was like 13, and we moved up there for whatever. I was up there for 10 years, um, and I moved back down here. But I mean, a lot of the bucks back here are from no Northern Indiana. Not a lot of them, but a, a few of them are, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, four or five of them are, but uh, it's a lot different. Um, yeah. There's a lot more public land down here. There's there's a decent chunk of public land up north too. Just um, a lot more open farm country fields. Okay. This was this got brought up uh, in the comment section of a couple shows ago. Do shed dogs ruin bedding areas? Someone was kind of kind of kind of uh, had some concerns about people using shed dogs for shed hunting because they they run around in the bedding areas and jump with the deer and. No, that's fine. Coyotes run around in bedding areas, chase deer too. Yeah. I don't think there's any bedding area that hasn't had coyotes in it chasing deer around. Yeah. So I don't think that's that's uh, a problem whatsoever. I think if you had that shed dog out during season chasing deer around in those bedding areas, it'd be a different story. But uh, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I'm with you. I, I, I guarantee that those dogs do less damage than we do walking around looking for sheds, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. This guy was commenting, kind of was bashing people that use shed dogs. I was like, oh, I think it's kind of neat to, to me. I mean, if, if you're into that, you know, um, everybody gets mad about everything that they don't do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it is, it's true. You know, you yeah. don't hunt like me. You're, you're the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. How about just live and let live and just worry about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, last last week when we were talking to Gordon, he was talking about back in the 50s and 60s, people acting like that. You know, it's like, I think it's just people, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, been long, around as long as hunting. I mean, like I said, uh, you, you, you know, the whole, uh, you know, crossbow thing right now. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was the compounds. People were all mad about yeah. compounds. It's like, there should be their own season. It's like a rifle. <laughs> yeah. It's the same stuff yeah. we're hearing now about, about uh, crossbows. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder what 30 years look like, you know? I don't know. 
Um, this is an interesting question. Uh, this one's from, yeah, brush crawler. Um, if you could change one deer hunting regulation in your state, what would it be? I'll go first. If I, if I had to change something, I'd move our, I'd move our rifle season back to the first week of December. That's one thing I'd change, um, about Indiana. Okay. So I would, uh, I would make the deer season open earlier. The bow season, I would probably open it, um, around August 15th or August 20th. And I'd make it doze only until, uh, about September 15th or 20th. Um, and then I would, uh, extend it to January 31st, but be bucks only from, um, December 15th to the end of the season. So bucks only at the beginning, bucks only at the end, because, uh, uh, the fawns are vulnerable in the beginning, if you shoot does yeah. and uh, you'll be shooting shit antler bucks after December 15th. Yeah. So you, you named a couple different regulation chains. Which one was your first one? Be, it's though? one. It's one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'd, I'd probably rather have the extension in the, in the early season. If I had to yeah. do one of those, yeah. one, if you want to call that two, even though it's one, I would do the, uh, the early season one. I, that I'd would like be my, see- uh, That'd be my second pick. Um, yeah. And I like to see it bucks only. I don't think you should doze that early. Yeah. I don't know if it would be my second pick actually to move it early. I like that Indiana opens October 1st because it kind of gives me September to like freely go places to deer hunt. Whereas like I don't have to think, well, I'm deer hunting. Like oh, I should be in Indiana hunting right now, you know. Um, but it would be cool to be able to hunt them in velvet. But I can go other places and do that, I guess. All right. Elizabeth. Thanks, Elizabeth, for the donation. She has a kind of interesting question. She says, describe your dream setup to go in and kill a buck. Ground sticks, how high, all that stuff. My ideal setup would be um, no pencil, no spoon or nothing, just my fingers. And uh, (laughs) sit in the trail and have you do a drive, and when it jumps over the top, you grab it. That would be my ideal situation. Um, but I, I think people frown upon like killing them with your teeth and animalistic stuff. So I'd probably have to use a weapon. <laughs> so I, I like, I like the old school way I do it, you know, out of a tree stand, um, over a trail. I mean, I want to be set up on a bed area where I'm hunting a specific buck and it's that buck that comes out and I shoot it. Um, and no trickery, no calls, no sense, no nothing. Just me against him in his bedroom, figuring him out with old school detective work. That's my dream hunt. That's the way I hunt. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that's the right way. I'm just saying it's my way. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'd probably pick like a hill country setup where, you know, there's a, a nice bedding point and I'm, I'm setting up just off the, the, the point. Um, maybe there's a scrape there or something and it's early. I like to, I like, I love early season hunts. Like that's my favorite time to kill a big buck, you know? And yeah. that buck just comes off that point and comes around and I shoot him. That's how I'd be. I'd be probably high in the tree too. She asked about how high up and how many sticks. I don't know. In the hills, oh, hills, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd be. Ideally 18 away. feet up yeah. and um, 18 yards out. Yep. That'd you be get perfect. the right angle. Um, but I'm, 
getting into that ideal situation height and stuff it's yeah. kind of like you get to a tree and it's like there's a spot where you need to be in that tree yeah See, the ideal height is 18 feet but that doesn't mean that's where you're going to get right right elizabeth says she calls in deer all the time uh behind the truck stops that's funny <laughs> i'd probably do something like that too if i was a truck driver it's like i don't like looking for sheds but i need something to do at work <laughs> I'll say, I hope your boss isn't listening tonight. <laughs> I hope he is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He must have a good sense of sense of humor. No. Uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on. Before Dan gets fired. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, oh, geez. What do you think is the one most important but overlooked aspect of becoming a good hunter and how do you improve on it? Mm. I can go first if you want me to, if you want to think yeah, about it. I think uh, uh, most hunters think about food uh, like all the time. Like just that's their, their whole world revolves around sitting over a cornfield or over a bean field or over a whatever, you know. And I think until you get that, you quit thinking about so much of like where they're eating and and get to where they're bedding. You know, that's that's the biggest thing for people to improve in my mind. I just had a conversation with my buddy that went up to the workshops about it the other night. You know, he's like, I, I'm like, you know, that's the thing he has to work on is think about where they're bedding, not where they're going to be eating at. Right. So, so I think uh, for me, it's um, uh, I think what you you said is very valid. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that. Uh, people don't, um, they're really not mobile enough. Even when they're hunting mobile, they tend to go to the same spots over and over again. And I think if you really want to kill big stuff, you got to get aggressive, you got to get mobile and you got to jump around a lot. I think a guy could literally put up a big, you know, map of his hunting property he's going to and throw a dart across the room at it. And wherever that dart lands, if he went there and hunted, he would do better than rotating through the same five, spots that he thinks is great over and over again so i think that whole mobile aspect of really getting out and hunting different and new spots um would really be the thing for a new guy not only that but he's going to learn a lot faster if he keeps if he stays mobile than than just hunting the same spot and never learning anything yep that's a good one too um, Matthew, we're going to answer a few more guys and we'll get off here. You ever hunt the public in Kentucky that has lakes on tops of ridges and hills because of past mining? I haven't, man. I think that's out in like the eastern part of the state. I've never, never been out there. Um, I'd like to, one of these years, I want to maybe do some scouting in Kentucky and kind of do a extended early season hunt out there and try to kill a nice one out there. But, um, all right, let's see here. Uh, you guys are giving a whole bunch of feedback on the question about what's the most overlooked thing that hunters need to in, improve on. Um, yeah, good. Yeah. I can't read them all, but 
I've never hunt, I've never killed a buck with a longbow from the ground. I've killed some does from the ground with a longbow. Really? I thought you did. Not not from the ground. I mean, hmm. I've killed a few with a longbow. You got to get real close, don't you? Like ten yards is what you're doing. 10, Ideally, yeah, inside twenty for sure. Um, here's kind of a interesting question for Bill. Um, Dan, what's the oldest fella you have ever known to still climb a tree mobile style? Hmm. I don't know. John Eberhart, he's 73, I think. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's, that's, actually, no, but no. you're right. He probably is the, he probably is the oldest guy still hunting at least semi. He's not really mobile yeah. though, is he? I think he says he always hunts preset spots. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so that's not really mobile. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think on that for a while. Yeah, maybe some people can start throwing their ages out there. Maybe we'll find the oldest mobile hunter. Yeah, that listens yeah. listens sure, to the show right now. <laughs> I'm sure there's people that are in better health than me that are doing it still older than me. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think too. I don't know very many of them that, I mean, there's definitely some older, older guys. You have some older guys come to the workshop sometimes, Dan. Oh yeah. Um, I remember we had, uh, a woman a couple of years ago that was 83. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. And, and she was, uh, she had done, she had hunted like four States, um, the year she came. What really? That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, she was her hunter and then probably anybody else that was at the whole workshop that day. I mean, she was an incredible person. That's awesome. We just even listen to her stories and stuff. Lou, we've had, it may we've be. had some really old people show up at those workshops. That Remember that, uh, I don't think you were there, that day that was really cold? Mm-hmm. We had a guy that was really old on that one. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that, I might be listening. Well, <laughs> but, but he was, they, he was really old yeah. and... and uh, um, I was even worried about him because of how cold it was. Cause it was like 17 below or something um, yeah. without chill. Uh, mm. But there's some old guys still, you know, doing it. I think a lot of the old guys that are doing it though started later in life. Yeah. Um, when I started mobile hunting, there wasn't really anybody mobile hunting mm-hmm. at all. People yeah. I thought it was nuts. Everybody thought that you sat in a spot long enough. A deer would come by. Yeah. Um, Colby mentioned Warren Walmack. He's an he's an older gentleman from the South. That yeah, he he's pretty old too. I mean, the South <laughs> they, really got, they really got early on the uh, whole climber game. The South people, so they probably got more older guys at uh, Mobile Hunt. I think they started, um, for the most part, more people from the South started mobile hunting in the North. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys gut your deer in the woods? Right where it dies, or drag it away. I just got mine where it lies usually, unless it's some weird scenario. But um, yeah, so do I. I mean, I've I've heard people say they never gut it where you shoot it. You're going to ruin the spot and stuff like that. But I've never seen it ruin the spot. I've got a deer in a spot, and then uh, you know, a week later, see a buck come out of the same bed and area. Um, you know, I don't think it's ideal that you. I think your human scent does more damage than your your the guts. I've also, I remember gutting a deer uh, in, in the middle of a field and I was hunting near that field and I could see it 
and all these deer kept coming to her like they were going to a funeral and scratching at the guts. Really? Weird. Yeah, yeah. It was, must have smelled like the deer. I don't think they know guts are like their buddy's been yeah, chopped they, up. Like, yeah. like humans got that whole horror picture. If you saw a cut up person, you'd freak out. I don't think a deer knows what they're looking at. I don't yeah, think like, yeah. yeah, it's not like the deer have uh, anatomy books to look at to know, right. know what's inside of them, you know. Um, all right, everybody. I think we're going to hop off here. We've been on here an hour and a half. So, um, thanks for all the questions. That was pretty fun tonight. Me and Dan are talking. The other, yeah, we'll, these we'll do these. these. Ones. Yeah, me too. Me too. If I didn't get your question tonight, uh, either we've, either we've covered it a whole bunch of times on the show or, or I just didn't see it or something. So I apologize. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and, We'll see you all Thursday night. See everybody. Bye. Bye.